We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Six Man Show on Orlando Magic Podcast with your hosts, Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic Basketball. Five fans, four fans. Go Magic. What's going on, Orlando Magic fans? You guys are back with the Six Man Show. Today is May 1st, 2023. Jonathan Osborne here. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Luke. Is it Benjamin? Sylvia? What's up? It, it is Benjamin. The full yes, government. actually. The full government. Benjamin. Middle name. Uh, man, we are, like you said, in May. May 1st. We are in the, the month of the lottery. So we are one step closer. It's another milestone. We're only a couple weeks out at this point, Jonathan. 15 it's, days. It's crazy because I feel like we've already been... It's already felt like forever since the Magic season ended. And we've been counting down time till the lottery party. But we are finally in the month. When I say 15 days, like I, I start getting pretty nervous. Because like, like, there's a lot riding on this draft lottery. There is and there isn't. Because we've had the conversation right. that ultimately we're fine if you just end up with a rotation player or two rotation players from mm-hmm. this draft, you're doing okay because you have two guys, which is like the hardest part of everything. Like the Celtics, they don't go into a lottery, not to compare us directly to the Celtics, at least not yet, but they don't go into a draft thinking, oh, we have to hit number one. Like they're like, we have Jason Tatum, we have Jalen Brown. We just need to put guys around those guys that are going to make them better versions of themselves. That being said, we hit number one, everything changes again. Mm-hmm. And I saw a take today on Twitter. I'm not going to point the person out by name or like directly, but they were pretty much like, no, nah, I'm good on Wemby. I don't want somebody coming in and, and taking away Paolo Shine when he didn't even get treated correctly his first rookie of the year season, which like I can, 1% of me can appreciate that because yes, Paolo Bancaro was completely disrespected all season by the lack of coverage that he received. But you don't not add Victor Wembenyama to your team because of that. Ultimately, we're trying to win a championship. We're not trying to win Paolo MVPs or all-star games or whatever. Like We're trying to win it all, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I the only angle that I get is like, if you were like, out on Wimby because you're like if you think if 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 essentially then three guys on the roster are what you hope them to be you're going to run out of money you're not going to be able to pay all these guys if they are as good as you think they're going to be now the reality is maybe one of them isn't right like then you can work with it but i i still think it is silly to say you're out on Wimby because of for really any reason it doesn't matter you've seen what people are saying about him just give it a shot like nobody is knocking you for taking him one people like no one's going to give you a hard time if he doesn't pan out because everybody's on board so I, I i just think that that's yeah that is pretty silly going to switch it up a little bit Luke here as we are absolutely in the off season <laughs> brushing your teeth cold water or hot water 
cold. Cold water. Thank you. I saw Ew. this as a debate, and I deal with this on a daily basis in my own household. Carmen is a hot water toothbrusher. And her logic is that it kills germs more effectively. What are we washing Which dishes? Which my response is, you have any idea how hot that water has to be in order to kill germs on the bacteria in your you're mouth? Not, you're not putting that in your straight mouth. Straight from and the temperature? It has to be boiling hot. Your mouth cannot take how hot mm-hmm. it would need to be for that to work that way. The only thing I'm disappointed about in this situation, besides in Carmen, is that I didn't get to be a fly on the wall listening to this debate because I know that you're a passionate person and I know Carmen doesn't hesitate to roast. So I I just know that that conversation was incredible. We have had this conversation for 11 years. <laughs> we've been together 11 years. We've had this conversation at least once a year since we've been together. Do, and there's nothing that I can do. Are there more to of her out her there to, in the teeth brushing world? Are there more of her out there? To, there are. I, the reason that I asked was this is because you saw? I saw people debating it on Twitter yesterday. Whether cold or hot water to brush your teeth. I'm like, what are we doing here? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Now, where Carmen also likes to bring this up is when it comes to washing dishes. Yes. She turns the water on as hot as humanly possible. Yeah, Lauren does too. My little delicate hands, like you talk about you can't take the heat, get out of the water. I cannot wash dishes in the temperature that she does. It works out. But my argument is the soap is what is making it clean. Right. So I wash my dishes in cold water. Mm -hmm. I I do too. And Lauren, Lauren thinks I'm an alien for it. So, I'm gonna have to find out if Lauren has brushed her teeth with hot water. Maybe it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Don't, I don't know. know. I figured I had to ask you that. Maybe we'll do one of these. I'm sure people, some people hate this, but right, it's the off season, folks. We we're, yeah. we're trying to enter, entertain ourselves here. But folks, coming up, talking about the draft lottery coming up on May 16th. It is a Tuesday night. We are again partnering with the Orlando Magic and Michelob Ultra to present this year's NBA Draft Lottery Watch Party. Again, May 16th, we're going to be at Wall Street Plaza in downtown Orlando starting at 7 o'clock. So not only are we going to be watching the NBA Draft Lottery together, we're also giving away a Paolo Bancaro autographed basketball for free. We're just going to be giving out raffle tickets. And if your raffle ticket gets pulled, you go home with the ball. And then we're going to be recording a podcast live at one of the venues. I don't think that has been decided exactly, but there are quite a few establishments located at the Wall Street Plaza. One of those, we're going to be recording a podcast live after the NBA draft lottery, really to just recap and talk about what it means for the Magic. So again, May 16th at 7 o'clock, be at Wall Street Plaza for this year's NBA draft lottery watch party, Luke. It is going to be a blast. This week, Luke, we're going to talk about Jamal Mosley. We did the, the player grades, went through all of the forwards, the bigs, the guards. We're going to be talking about Coach Jamal Mosley this week and kind of evaluating his performance this year and just kind of looking at how he's grown in his two seasons with the Magic. Before we get to that, Luke, the Milwaukee Bucks lost to the Miami Heat in six games. After the game, Giannis, by a, a reporter doing his job, that I, I don't think it was a, a crazy question, I don't think it was like an inappropriate question or there was any malice behind it, asked Giannis if whether or not this season for the Milwaukee Bucks was a failure, being the number one seed in the East, being the favorite to win the title, and losing to the eighth seed. You know, Giannis misses you know two-plus games with an injury in this series. But for them, again, to lose to the eighth seed, and he goes on this rant almost talking about how one team wins the title every year. It doesn't mean 29 other teams' seasons are failures and and so on and so forth. And people seem kind of split on this issue. Maybe not 50-50, but you and I sort of agree on this. So, What is your take on what Giannis said and then just kind of the response that we've seen 
to Giannis's comments. Yeah. So the first thing is, you know, he says, you know, it's steps. There's, you know, it's steps to success. Blah 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 blah. Um, I think, and very quickly, everybody will figure out where I stand. But um, the one thing on the front end, like at first, I was like, oh, maybe a little bit of an unnecessary question by the reporter, because like, but the only reason it was unnecessary is because I was like, well, clearly the season's a failure. There's no need to ask this question. Like, he's already down. It was five games, not six games. That shows you how much I care about any basketball that's not the Orlando match. (laughs) But what I will say is that Giannis started out by saying. I don't know what the reporter's name was. It might have been Eric. I could be wrong. But for the sake of this, his name's Eric. He said, Eric, you asked me the same question last season. And after kind of listening to the, the, the question and the answer a few times, at first I was like, oh, it might be kind of unnecessary by the reporter. Then I was like, oh, he asked the question last year. Like, this is just a thing that he asks, right? Last year, the Bucks lose in the second round to the Boston Celtics, who were the two seed. The Bucks were the three seed. I don't think necessarily that's anything to really hang your head about. What I should have done and gone is gone back and seen what Giannis said back you know, last year just to see. But um, I think absolutely the season is a failure. And, and while I think the answer from Giannis was good, it would have been a whole lot better coming from a team, a player on the Atlanta Hawks. Like, or somewhere, someone that was not expected to get to even the second round. And Giannis gave this question as if he was the underdog. And it really irritated me. A lot of people want to talk about Giannis. He's this really good person and he's super nice. And I just feel like that cannot mean that you are immune and uh, to criticism. This was a stupid answer, in my opinion. On the surface, it makes sense, like I said. But coming from him... Number one seed, they lose in five games. I don't care how much he played or not. It felt really dumb. It's an eight seed team. You should be able to beat even with the time Giannis missed. Which was a playing team, by the way. Right. And to be fair, we watched them play against the Knicks. They went at Madison Square Garden game one. But at the same time, man, I, I'm, I still don't like the answer at all. Um I just think that, it, I don't know, people give him the benefit of the doubt because he's quote-unquote nice. And uh, and it's just, I just didn't like the answer at all. So what I'll say is, by no means do I think it was like an inappropriate or not a fair question. Like, it's important to get a player's perspective on their season and whether or not it was a success or a failure, especially from day one when the expectation is that you're going to be competing for a championship. That's what fans want to know. Like fans want to hear a player's perspective on the outcome of their season, right? And this is one of those things where I feel like there are elements of truth to what you're saying, even though kind of in totality, you're wrong about what you're saying. Like, yes, it is true that not every season is a failure if you don't win a title. Look no further than the Sacramento Kings, who we saw losing seven games today to the Golden State Warriors. Didn't make the playoffs for the first time. In, I mean, made the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. And then you take one of the greatest teams of all time, the defending NBA champions, to the brink. If Harrison yeah. Barnes hits that shot earlier in the series, there's a good chance that the Kings closed it out earlier than seven games. Like, they were incredibly close to knocking them off. Look at the Orlando Magic. And people are are joking about the Orlando Magic, unfortunately, with this. Like, 29 teams is not a failure. And, you know, the Orlando Magic are, are happy about that. I, I saw a tweet on, on Twitter about that today. But we have overwhelmingly said this season was a success for the Magic. You know for sure that you hit on the number one overall pick with Paolo Bancaro. You have Franz Wagner. You came three games short. You know, you're you're eliminated three games before the end of the season. You were really, really close to being able to make the play-in. For us, that is a, a success. However, when you are one of the betting favorites to win the championship and to come out of the Eastern Conference, you are the number one seed. Yes, I know Giannis missed, you know, essentially three games in this series, but you're at home or... Yeah, you're at home with a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter 
And like the last five minutes of that game, they could not give Giannis the ball. He could not get rid of the ball quick enough. Last minute of that game, he almost throws the ball out of bounds because he didn't want to get fouled and have to go to the free throw line. Grayson Allen dribbles the ball out. They don't even get a shot off at the end of the game. Absolutely, the season is a failure. If to start the year, you're one of the betting favorites to win the title and you don't make it out of the first round. Yeah. The perspective that he gave is important. And I hope people take the, the good elements from that. But at the same time, you should be able to say, yes, this season was a failure. Right. Or at least maybe don't even maybe you don't have to use the word failure. Even maybe you can just say that we came up short of our goal, like just something. Give me something taking accountability for how and it doesn't even have to mean that it relates to him because of his injury. Right. Like regardless, the team as a whole. Yes, the season was a failure because we did not get out of the first round against an eight seeded team. And when I heard the initially the response from him, I was like. Maybe I'm being too harsh because I felt like it was overwhelmingly support for Giannis uh, everywhere I looked. But then I went and I listened to our good old buddies at the Eurostep podcast, part of the Blue Wire family. And I felt much better because all of them were talking about this season's a failure. Right? Like, good response on the surface, Giannis. But like this season, yes, it was a failure. So, um, so yeah, and I, I saw it on Twitter too from some of their hosts um, that are with Blue Wire, like reiterating that. And um, so yeah, I it definitely a failure through and through. There again, like there are good things to take from it, but I, like let's not act like the point of sports is to win a championship. And when you are one of the perceived favorites to do that, like coming up as short as they did, I if if that was me. And, and part of me wants to give Giannis the benefit of the doubt because it is such a raw and like immediate reaction. Like they had just lost the series. So he's emotional. And you could tell by the way that he responded. He knows that he's getting overly emotional. He has to even like back himself up and say, look, I don't want to get personal. And then kind of takes a step back and articulates himself a bit better. And I love that Giannis has this element to him that it is about the bigger picture and it is a, you know, uh, life isn't just about basketball and he is such a positive, you know, influence and and role model to a certain extent, but trying to tell me that the one seed losing to the eight seed isn't an organizational failure and means you're, you wasted a season. I, I can't buy that. And the very last thing that I will add here is that the one thing I didn't like, and I, I don't know that it's not wasn't smart a smart comparison from Giannis or it wasn't a nice comparison. He he flips it on the reporter almost immediately, talking about you don't get a raise. Is that a failure? Yeah. What are you working toward? The, I was like, it's comparing apples to barbecue sauce. Just like, completely showed me that like in the amount of time that Giannis has been in the NBA, he's lost sight on reality. There's just no world where that is a fair comparison. And especially like you're it's hard to, to keep a sense of reality when you're making, you know, forty five, fifty million dollars a year. Yeah. And and I, so I didn't I, I didn't like that. I didn't like a lot of it. But in the whatever. moment, like listening to that in real time, I was like, that's not the same thing. That's right. not even remotely the same thing. Yeah. So whatever. I, a little out of touch. And um, yeah, I, I, I would have liked a little bit more responsibility for at least the team as a whole. Like I said, even if he didn't take responsibility just for himself. But like, yes, we as a team failed anyway. Yeah. All right, let's take a moment to talk about the folks that help make every single episode possible, our lovely patrons. So if you have not heard by now, uh, we do have a Patreon community that you can join for as little as $2 a month. Uh, You can get access to awesome benefits like access to our Discord channel. Uh, We also have a monthly Zoom call with our Elite and Hall of Fame tier patrons where we just talk about the Orlando Magic and we have a good time and, and hanging out with them. So if you're ever curious or wanted to join our Patreon community again to help financially support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash the six man show. And we shout out our Hall of Fame tier and elite tier patrons on every episode. So we'll start with the court cousins. A big shout out to our boy Peach, who just got a job with the Dallas Stars uh, helping their facilities. 
I don't know if he's going to be driving the Zamboni at their <laughs> practice facility, but I know he's done that at other facilities in the past. So a big shout out to Peach. Really, really happy for you, man. And then Drew Gooden, Armin, Carson Tulo, Normal, Magic Player History, Julio, Gabe Gaines, Wiffle, Michael Martin, Jamel Miller, Michael Salapon, The Distract, Donkey Punch Dave, It's Not OKK to Say Okiki, Pierre A, Migzors, Nostalgia, and M&Ms, Dylan Holden, Mr. Mikey, Eduardo Sanchez, Drum, Danimal, Dotto 15, Bobby Skinner, Goaty 93, Teddy Sylvia, Eric Lopez, Fuchsia, Juan Geraldo, Bill Fulton, Edmund, Lagone, Jose Esquilin, Destin for Greatness, Caleb Pete, Cannibalism, Time Mr. TV, Joe Rothfuss, ESPN Really Sucks, Gear 95, Shred, Junior Bruce, Half Recon, Shahin 177, Bulby the Don, Hemlo, Ban Hemro, Arm Prof 221, Ray Pastrana, Magic Kid 714, Let's Spank Don't Tank, Soft Taco, Jesse, Johnny B, Fuego Nando, Victor Cologne, Phantom Wolf 72, Irish Magic Mike, Austin Lampy, Random Hustle, Bull Bull. His first name is his last name, only Franz Maria. A big shout out to all of our patrons. You can find us at patreon.com slash the six man show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let's talk about Jamal Mosley. So Jamal Mosley in his second season with the Orlando Magic Luke. We all know the Magic went 34 and 48 on the season. Jamal Mosley in his two seasons with the Orlando Magic now has a 58 win, 112 loss record. Good for win percentage of 34.1. Luke, before we start talking about the areas of of growth that we've seen with Jamal Mosley, I want to take it back a couple of summers ago after the hire of Jamal Mosley and just what were your initial thoughts of the hire of Jamal Mosley? And then what were your initial thoughts of Jamal like after that first press conference? Yeah, I think for him, it's it's very difficult when you have an assistant coach in general, anyone gets their first head coaching gig. It is very hard to gauge what you're supposed to think, what they're good at, what they're not good at, all that sort of thing. So I do think that it was huge. And I remember thinking this, obviously, as really everybody else did, and this is all we really knew, was that Jamal Mosley was good relationally with players. He had good relationships. He developed them, kept the team chemistry high, that sort of thing. And that was really the only thing that I knew of him, obviously, other than what we could read about him on Wikipedia or any other website. So I, I would say that was really the only thing that I knew about him. Expectation-wise, it felt like a very stereotypical, like, this team needs to rebuild. We need a guy that can build the chemistry, players coach, that sort of thing. 
uh, first press conference, like you said, I just remember thinking he was slightly timid. Um, that there was a little bit of maybe he's an introvert or he's not comfortable all in ways that have kind of shifted over time for me in terms of opinion of him. But yeah, I, first, first impressions are hard and that's really all that I remember about really the, the beginning of Jamal Mosley in Orlando. I remember, you know, it was like we had heard some like p- potential like Wes Unseld Jr. Right. stuff. I know the Magic, you know, had interviewed Darvin Ham, um, Jamal Mosley, obviously. So the initial hire, I was like, okay, like this is their guy. You know, we were trusting in Jamal. We were uh, not Jamal. We were trusting in John and Jeff. We weren't quite trusting Jamal yet. Uh, but my feelings after the first press conference, I had even texted you guys and I said I, I was getting like Jacques Vaughn vibes because. Mm. Jacques Vaughn now has has grown, you know, as a head coach over the years now with the Brooklyn Nets, much, you know, has, has grown into that role and is much more confident, but especially in Orlando, just didn't seem like he wanted anything to do with the head coaching job at the time. Just very, very unsure of himself, really seemed to lack confidence. And that was kind of the vibe that I got from Jamal Mosley. You could tell that he wasn't completely comfortable you know, speaking to the press and, and fielding those questions kind of on the fly. If you've never been in that role, it's a tough thing to do, you know, fair enough. But that was the thing that had stuck out to me that he's very much learning. We probably should have given him more of the benefit of the doubt. At least that's the way that I feel about the way I reacted to him initially. And historically around the league, when you see these kind of inexperienced coaches get put into these roles with these rebuilding teams, usually you're hired to eventually get fired before we see the next guy come in, kind of take over and then take the team to the next step. I I don't want to have that conversation just yet. We will in a few minutes. But going back to last year and like the first season and and sort like some of the the good and like the bad that we saw from Jamal Mosley in year one, one of the the positives, and this trend has continued, is you spoke to this, his relationship with the players, the way that the whole roster last year and this year really bought into what the team is trying to do, what they're trying to build, and the fact that regardless if they play well night in and night out, they're going to fight like crazy. At some point, that run is coming from the magic. We haven't always been able to say that, but the last couple of seasons with Jamal, doesn't matter if they're down 20 in the third quarter. You know that at some point they're going to cut this down to 12 or 11 or maybe even nine. Sometimes they come all the way back, but the Magic are going to make this at least somewhat of a game at some point. And a 22-win team last year where a lot of young teams, maybe like the Houston Rockets or the Detroit Pistons, where they just looked pathetic at times, we never really saw that from the Magic last year. Now, negatively, you and I, and I I do feel like it was fair, were questioning a lot of the rotations last year. We're questioning sort of like the X's and O's, you know, what they were drawing up schematically and the adjustments that he was or was not making on the fly in the middle of these games, like you see some of the better coaches in the league do. Sometimes you drop a game plan and throughout the game, something changes and you realize, hey, this isn't really working and you need to switch things up a bit. We did see a reluctancy from Jamal to do that, at least in year one. So Luke, outside of kind of the things that I'm mentioning, what stood out to you from Jamal year one? I think despite the rotation questions that were fair, he still did a really good thing and and seemingly finding the best talent to propel the starting group. And this is something that has carried like this. This is a thing that he has, like he specializes in my opinion in optimizing players in their role, like in terms of what groups work well together. And we'll get into it when we talk about year two and really how I can expand upon, upon this. But there was a time where that starting five group was number one and, you know, 
and just as a starting lineup, right? Like in, in last in that year, right? rating, yes, in that rating, that that was something he found. He stuck to it. He let them build chemistry, and that was a really great lineup. And we thought Say the bomb thing about. was a joke. Yeah, when obviously for those that maybe don't remember or, or you need a refresher, he was playing Bomba and Wendell together, and um, and that was we did think that was a joke. He rolled it out in preseason, and we were like, "Yeah, there's no way." And he rolls it out, and it ends up being one of the best lineups and the best lineup in the league for a while. So, I just think that no matter what people think on the outside about, oh, this hasn't been done before. What is he doing? From the get go, he has had this knack and I do think it speaks volumes about him as a coach. So that, that was really my main takeaway from last season in the positive light for sure. And then negatively it's everything you've already said when we're talking about rotations, his use of like his timeout utilization at times was not good, which I think he's grown, but that's kind of what I remember there as well from year one. I also remember like the lineup stuff was bad, especially towards the beginning of the year. But maybe not his in-game adjustments, but his game-to-game adjustments last year, I felt like improved throughout the season. Mm -hmm. So just to give a little bit of added context uh, to to last season, so the Magic, you know, 22-60 and on the year. Prior to the All-Star break in 60 games, the Magic had a 21.7% win percentage. Post All Star break in 22 games, the Magic had a 40.9% win percentage. So we've had multiple conversations on the show about how after the All Star break last year, I believe they were seventh in the NBA in terms of defensive rating. That was massive. But the other, th- I mean, obviously getting Markel Fultz back towards the end of last season was huge. But the fact that the Magic were so bad those first 60 games and they didn't just pack it in those last. 22 games of the season you're terrible the first 60 you're slightly below good the last 22 games cannot give Jamal enough praise in that regard and that starting lineup that we're talking about last year was Cole Anthony Jalen Suggs Franz Wagner Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba and through 884 possessions that they played together they were minus 1.2 differential Uh, per 100 possessions played. So they weren't really that great. Like you said, to start the year last year, they were one of, if not the best lineup, best starting lineup in the league in terms of net rating. So his willingness to try different combinations in in, the, the rotations, sometimes it was a bit more apparent to us, I feel like, that certain things weren't working. And he was kind of reluctant to get away from that. But as a starting coach, when you're really looking for something to work, you have to let the sample size kind of build in his defense. You can't play 30 minutes of a lineup and it's not working. And maybe in your mind, it's just taking time to gel. You you have to have, you know, like, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like, you have to have belief in what you're doing, you know, as a head coach. You can't be wishy-washy. Guys are going to see right through that immediately. So, Now let's talk about kind of his growth from year one to year two. We would, it would be disingenuous of us not to point out the fact that the roster is much improved. That for the lack of health that we had this season, we had a lot more health than we did last year. You know, Markel Fultz playing most of the season, Gary Harris playing most of the season, Jonathan Isaac playing 11 games and the team going eight and three in that stretch. Jalen Suggs, you know, a little bit healthier than last season, but not much. Cole Anthony, you know, being healthy for basically the last three quarters of the season and, you know, not really suffering any, you know, major injuries to any key players really throughout the rest of the season. So that's number one. But where do you think we saw the most growth for Jamal from year one to year two? I mean, just overarching from a broad viewpoint, the team wins 12 wins, 12 wins more. The, the plus 12, that's the biggest takeaway as a whole, as well as that really pairs with the health too. But I think just his ability to see things even further, like his ability to evaluate where a guy needs to be, 
he had the whole sample size of last season and he's able to do those things. The the biggest thing for me and specifically is Cole Anthony coming off the bench. Because you're at a point where you're like, oh, we need to develop guys. Winning's not really a priority. And you know, you come into this season and that's, that is the case. Winning wasn't solely the priority. They're still having to balance this with, with developing talent. But I think that he saw that Cole Anthony was going to develop better off the bench than in the starting lineup. Because obviously at that point, you're making the decision between Gary Harris or Cole Anthony. Now, just in thinking about it, are you going to trust that Gary Harris can be the bench player that Cole Anthony was this year? In my opinion, absolutely not. Gary could not do what Cole did in this in the bench unit. But and with that, Cole was able to develop. Cole honestly developed, I think, at a faster rate on more ways than you know by coming off the bench. And so that is something that I kind of looked into was what were his numbers as a starter this year? What were his numbers off the bench? The biggest discrepancy I would give it to everybody off the bat is that he only played four games as a starter this year. But in looking at that, in a small sample size, he averaged 12.8 points per game, seven rebounds, five assists, um, and he took 14 shots a game, 37.5% from the field, 23.8% from three. So what all you need to know is that Cole Anthony in the games that he started was a lot of the Cole Anthony we saw last year. Then we see him come off the bench. In 56 games, Jonathan, he shoots four less field goal attempts a game, and he still averages more points off the bench than he did as a starter. Shoots 46.5% from the field, shoots 37.8% from three, uh, like a 14% increase. And then, like I said, there is a discrepancy, and the discrepancy is the four only four games as a starter. So what I did was I wanted to see in that time four games as a starter, and then not long after, four games off the bench, his first four, what was the difference? And the difference was crazy. First four games off the bench, his stats were almost 17 points per game, 55% from the field, 61.5% from three, almost and still 10 field goal attempts a game, just like the rest off the bench performances. So to me, it really screamed that Jamal saw what he had right off the bat and he stuck with it. You know, Cole essentially goes out due to injury, comes back off the bench and doesn't see the starting lineup again until uh, I believe April. So, uh, I mean, I really had off, hats off to, to Jamal for, for that and just having the foresight to see and saying, oh, there might be something here. He's more efficient off the bench. His role is different. He's able to to take advantage of being the guy while not pulling anybody else down, and he's still able to operate. I, I just thought that was the most impressive part for me. I do I do agree that was super impressive. Uh, for me, it's just kind of like the overall growth that we saw from Jamal. So one, like the continuation of him keeping the locker room together. Like everybody that we talk to when we talk about like why is this team so special. And we talked about this with, with Jeff Turner, you know, a couple of weeks ago, everybody talks about how this locker room is different. Why is it different? And Jeff could have said, Oh, you know, well, Cole Anthony is a great guy, really pulls everybody together. Or Wendell is a great leader or Mo Wagner is super vocal, or they have all these great guys in the locker room. And he said, it starts with Jamal Mosley. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, again, you were awful all last year. You come into the beginning of the season and you have guys at media day talking about making the fourth seed. You have the number one overall pick in the draft. And after 25 games, you're five and 20. Regardless of the context surrounding that injuries or what have you, the fact to be sitting at five and 20 almost all the time. And we, we talked about this at, you know, random times throughout the year. Like the magic were probably the best team in NBA history to start five and 20. Like from that point on, they're one of the best teams that have ever done that in the history of the NBA. So history shows you that most of the time you do that, you are a long shot for the playoffs. And the Magic did not get eliminated until the 79th game of an 82-game season. So again, 
facing adversity and and sort of like a a different type of adversity to a certain extent because the expectations were raised going into this season for him to keep all of that together and then to see the way that the team exponentially improved as soon as they got healthy and really found a way to play like I cannot say enough good things about the leader that Jamal Mosley is especially for this roster and we talk about it being young guys but like it's young guys there's some veterans in there and all of the guys talk about Jamal the same way. And all of the guys talk about this roster and this locker room in the same way. You don't get this everywhere. Mo Wagner, you know, who's been to the Lakers, to the Wizards, to the Celtics. He's been in a few locker rooms around the NBA. He's pointed out multiple times that this is not normal, what you're seeing here. Now, beyond that, you know, we talked about the pre and, and post all-star, you know, numbers from, from last year. So in this season, 59 games pre All-Star break. The Magic were 24 and 35. Remember, they started 5 and 20. So they went, what is that? 19 and 15. You know, the last, you know, however many games before the All-Star break. And then post All-Star break, the Magic in 23 games were 10 and 13, which is good for 43.5% win percentage. Now, yeah, the Magic kind of threw away the last couple of games to end the year. Maybe you could have picked up another couple of wins if everybody's playing, you know, towards the end of the year there. But for the Magic to start five and twenty and to finish thirty-four and forty-eight, hugely successful just organizationally in its own right, but just the way that Jamal kind of kept everybody together. But we also, I felt like now there were some shortcomings. Like we can talk about leaving, you know, the the corners wide open, kind of guys overhelping and and leaving, you know, threes wide open seemingly all season long. If you look at the percentages, the Magic were one of the best teams in the league in terms of opponents three-point percentage. Even though it drove us crazy on some nights where teams were knocking down a lot of shots, I don't know if you want to call it luck. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's hard to argue with the numbers. Something that drove us crazy, but for the most part, the Magic did a pretty good job of defending the three-point line. If you just look at the way that their opponents shot from behind the arc. But on a schematic basis, you know, in terms of like calling set plays, talking about like sideline out of bounds plays after timeout plays, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Magic had multiple functioning point guards this season, which they did not have last season. You know, having Markel Fultz, getting Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner, those playmaking reps early in the season. Maybe that's something that he had last year that he just didn't really feel comfortable going to. Um, But the willingness to implement those. And I do think in the NBA, a lot of times we don't give assistant coaches enough credit. Is that someone, you know, on the sideline that is assisting him? Being a head coach, you're seeing the whole, like you're, you're running the entire show. You get all the credit as a head coach. You get all of the blame. But part of being a a good head coach is putting your staff in positions to win and and putting your players in position to win. And even if he is delegating some of those responsibilities to somewhere, someone else, the fact that he is aware enough to do that, I think that happens a lot more in the NBA than people realize, right? Like not every, not every coach is probably the one sitting there drawing up every single, you know, offensive set and so on and so forth. So his willingness and the ability to implement those and have success in doing so, I feel much better about the future outlook of Jamal Mosley now than I did maybe in the middle or even like the end of last year. And that's where I want to take the conversation next. Juxtapose like your current feeling about Jamal Mosley and like maybe his future outlook on this team to how we felt during that first press conference or maybe the middle or the end of last season. Has that changed in any way for you? And if it has, how? Yeah, and you're referring to just my my thoughts about him from essentially my initial feelings to now. Is that pretty you much? You and I you're... last year were like, man, it's going to be really crazy when Jamal gets fired and a new <laughs> head coach comes and takes this team to like the Eastern Conference Finals or something. Yeah, yeah. So has that changed at all for you? I would say yes. But I also would say I'm not shocked if it is another coach taking us to either Eastern Conference Finals. Um, just because there, there's there's things 
that need to be worked on and and it really does kind of uh i guess also tie into to something else that i was going to talk about but like what i was going to ask you and we can take this tackle that after we kind of address this but the question was going to be what kind of conversation do you think we're having about coach mosley next year this time next year what kind of conversation are we having um and the reason i say that is just because of some of the shortcomings that are really big shortcomings that I don't know that I saw him adjust this year on, like leaving guys in for 15 minutes to finish a game. He seemed to love the answer and the reply of on multiple occasions where nothing was as egregious as playing them 15 minutes straight, but it was somewhat similar sometimes talking about, you know, the, the basically riding the hot hand. But there's to an extent where that hot hand cools off because it's freaking gasping for air, you know. Um, that I you're you're talking about like sometimes it's like riding guys too long, like even if they're yes. playing well. I feel like that happened. Like if we said it happened a handful of times this year, I think that would possibly be overstating it. Like I I can point to like three or four occasions for sure where I felt like that happened. Right. I just feel like next year these games and losses are going to feel way heavier than the losses that we felt this year and i just think that that i mean this is literally losing games like at that point next year every loss hurts if you have the goals this team has every loss hurts you can't have three games you lose because of the same mistake it one that seems so obvious so to sorry i got off there but like the no to answer your question Yes, my feelings changed. I would not all equally. I would not be as shocked if Jamal Mosley is the guy that takes us to the Eastern Conference Finals in a few years. Is the same sentiment of like I wouldn't be that shocked if he's not. You know what I mean? I, whereas before I was pretty much like ninety ten that Jamal was just going to get this locker room right, grow these guys to be the players that they're going to be, and then he's kind of served his duty and he's out. Now, I am just really kind of split of either possibility, honestly. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think, and, and I hate that it, like, it always comes back to this because like being a basketball, you know, an NBA head coach is so much more than this. But when your locker room won't let a guy fail, I feel like that goes a long way. You're like, mm-hmm. I this team just will not let this guy down is how I feel in a lot of situations. Now, can that change over time? You know, if the players aren't happy and they don't feel like they're getting the results that they want or the team isn't achieving the amount of success that they want, of course, that can change. I think I'm kind of at the point where I don't want to put like a. I, I've seen enough improvement. I feel like from one year to the next, where it's incredibly obvious that you give a guy more talent, he can do a lot more with that. Right. But I, I just don't feel comfortable like myself like putting any kind of like ceiling on Jamal Mosley. Now, do 
Do I think he's going to be like Eric Spolstra or like Greg Popovich? Most likely not. I would feel pretty comfortable in betting that he won't kind of reach. Like, I don't know that we'll ever be saying like Jamal Mosley is one of the best like schematic you know coaches in in the league, one of the best strategists. Uh, you know, as an NBA it, head it could coach, could be too early though to even to, to really know. To be fair, I'm sorry. I said it could be too early. Like you might, we just might not be there where you can even make a prediction like that because obviously those are like the the goats of coaching. But I, I do think that there is a level he could reach that we haven't seen because he's not even seen it. You know what I mean? Like he's still got to get there and he's got to get more reps. Like these guys aren't the only ones growing at a crazy pace. You think about just like really honestly, I feel like they're on the same path. You can expect from a player for so long that he is going probably the first four years of his career that each offseason from one season to the next, you're going to see incredible growth. You hope to see incredible growth. That's kind of my thinking with Mosley. Like he is on the same trajectory as someone like Cole Anthony in terms of you should see crazy growth. Jalen sucks. You know what I mean? That like I just don't even know that we're we're even close to reaching the point where he knows what Mosley knows what he himself can do coaching wise. That's kind of the point that I'm trying to make in like the same vein that I'm confident that like Cole Anthony isn't going to become Steph Curry. Mm, you know, like I'm not, I'm not saying like bad by any means, but like all time great. Like usually you could probably tell pretty early on. Maybe it's not as obvious with coaching, but really the point that I'm trying to make is because of the the growth that I feel like he made from year one to year two, like I'm not comfortable saying like, Oh, I don't, I wouldn't even put it at 50, 50. Like, mm. I'm just, I'm just really not sure. Like I think it is entirely possible that he can continue to improve at a rate that like, three, four years from now, like he's the guy coaching us in the Eastern conference finals. He's the guy coaching us in like the NBA finals. Like I do feel like there is a possibility that he grows into that. And again, whether or not that is like him being this like incredible basketball mind and like drawing up like the best, you know, sidelines out of bounds plays or like drawing up the best game plans, or he knows the guys to hire to get on his staff that are going to be able to assist him in doing that. I feel like that is an underrated part of being an NBA head coach, knowing this, the, the guys to bring on your staff, knowing the guys to promote or knowing a guy on another team somewhere that maybe isn't getting as big of a role as he potentially could. And you kind of hiring them away. Like, you know, you, you've seen that time and time again, where a guy is a, you know, a video assistant and now he's a, you know, an a offensive coordinator for a, an NBA team. Like it happens all the time. So, mm-hmm. Whether that is him, again, growing in to be like this kind of Eric Spolster kind of guy, or he's just really good about getting the right guys on the staff and they're kind of a, a sum of their parts and getting this team where they need to go. I have very much shifted my opinion that like, oh, Jamal is most likely going to be the guy that gets this team to a certain level and then somebody comes in. So now I'm like, no, like he really might be able to grow into the guy that takes us all the way. And how awesome would that be? Like, mm. you just don't really see that a ton where a guy comes in with a super, super young team and then brings them like all the way to the pinnacle of success and wins a title. Yeah. Like, look, like I think Nick Nurse, well, eh, maybe not even Nick Nurse. I, I'm sorry, Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Casey got that team pretty far along. But like, we look at like Brad Stevens, you know, who came into the Celtics and the Celtics were kind of rebuilding. You get Jason Tatum, you get Jalen Brown. They go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then you know now he's in a, a much different role. But like that's probably like if I'm thinking about it, that's like the closest that we've seen it. You know, like mm-hmm. I mean, Eric Spolstra, Eric, the, the Heat weren't very good, but then all of a sudden they get LeBron James and Chris Bosh, and you know they win multiple titles. But yeah. it's just like it's not very often that you see a coach kind of start the rebuild and see it all the way through. And to me, that would just be like the best story ever. Yeah, for sure. I think if, if Mosley is not the guy, then you, uh, you can probably kiss goodbye. The like emotional um, hugs, just player to player moments as well, where they're, he, Jamal is talking to a player, Jalen Suggs. We, I, I don't remember if I talked about it with you, it might've been with Kevin. Um, the Warriors Jalen Suggs, you know, yeah, going over, embracing, you know, putting his head, 
I was yeah, putting his it was Kevin. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Putting his head in the chest of Jamal Mosley, like just you know, those type of moments will be really cool to see on a bigger stage. You know what I mean? Because very much this team is a bunch of kids, and Jamal Mosley is is I don't know what they would call him a mentor. A father figure type person, either. Like, I don't know what the dynamic or how they would label it, but getting to see them grow together and then get to that point would be awesome. It would be a whole lot sweeter than Jamal Mosley being shown the door in a couple seasons when the front office is like, all right, thanks. Uh, you know, we've kind of maxed out. We know what these players are going to be. We don't need chemistry anymore. It's through the roof. Thanks for what you did. Bring in another guy. You know what I mean? It would be a whole lot sweeter if you could, you know, do this whole run with jamal at the helm i hope that that he coaches his way there i hope that he you know leaves no doubt that he is the coach for it because that would lead to some really special moments obviously well there are some people that believe you know chemistry is overrated like steve clifford used to say (laughs) chemistry is as good as your record right you know if you're winning a lot of games guys are in the locker room everybody's happy everybody's getting along if you're losing games it's really easy for that to change so who knows how much like once you get to a, a certain level of winning, you know, some teams just end up plateauing. It doesn't like might not get worse, but some teams are just right. like they're the four seed and they make it to the second round three years in a row. And it's like, OK, we're at like a proverbial ceiling and we need to bring a new voice kind of into the locker room. I hope that doesn't happen with Jamal Mosley. I do think it would be a incredible story. And at this point, like for me. Kind of like I stopped expecting or, or putting a ceiling on, on a guy like Franz Wagner. Right now, I don't want to put a ceiling on Jamal Mosley because he showed me a lot more growth in year two than I thought we would see. Like even you talked about the timeouts earlier. Mm-hmm. Super frustrating to start the season. But as the season went on, you saw him calling those kind of like momentum stopping timeouts. Not always, but that was something in year one that we did not see at all. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was just kind of like a, comfortability thing like you're kind of in over your head that first year and you're just kind of keeping your head above water and now that you're more confident you're able to see in and out of those situations and what is the right decision to make during the game that's I think that's going to be his kind of next thing is like if things aren't working in the middle of the game which we did see you know he would get away from the zone in certain aspects um, but as you start to get into you know playoff contention and stuff like that like adjusting your lineup to attack certain matchups and things like that. That's going to be, I think kind of like the next level of growth for Jamal Mosley and really looking forward to it and super happy that that guy is our head coach. And I do hope he's able to see it all the way through. Yeah. And we do know as well, Jonathan, as far as his contract, for those of you that might not know, he's got through the 25, 26 season essentially with this team. All I know is when I think about, coaches that just didn't make it past the contract and you know picking up options i think of teams like and coaches like the houston rockets with like steven silas that they they didn't pick up his option and i i just think that like it's a huge accomplishment even to make it through a couple years with an organization because it is very difficult you look at houston and at their time they went 17 and 55 they went 20 and 62 this year they go 22 and 60 just very thankful we're not the Houston Rockets and that we've got Jamal Mosley and the right talent. You land the luck with the number one pick. And and I just hope that, you know, Mosley builds enough case for himself that in a couple of years when his option, when it comes, comes time for them to, you know, keep a, you know, extend a contract to him again, that they do that instead of just parting ways. Because like you said, teams plateau and we just hope that he continues on the trajectory upward. Let's shift gears now and talk a little bit more about the NBA draft lottery. Again, I'm going to keep harping on this. Coming up on May 16th at 7 o'clock, we're going to be at the Wall Street Plaza in downtown Orlando for the NBA draft lottery watch party with the Orlando Magic and Michelob Ultra. If you're on YouTube, you can find the RSVP link in the description. Same if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can find the RSVP link in this episode's uh, details there. So make sure the RSVP, we have over 450 RSVPs. Now, all of last year, we had 111. <laughs> so more than four times 
as many RSVPs this year. Crazy. So it's going to be incredible. We really can't wait for it. But Luke, pulling up tankathon.com on every episode, mm-hmm. we go through and we simulate the NBA draft lottery. Been doing this uh, really every day. It's been about a week, I think, since I've got the number one overall pick. But right now, if you need a reminder, the Magic have the sixth best odds in this year's draft lottery. They have a 37.2% chance of jumping up into the top four. They have a 9% chance of the number one overall pick in general. Uh, They do own the Chicago Bulls uh, first round pick this year. They, They do own that. Unless Chicago is able to jump up into the top four right now, the Bulls have an 8.5% chance of ending up in the top four and a 1.8% chance of ending up with the number one overall pick. Luke, how do you feel about like the, the way that you've been seeing these odds and these simulations unravel so far uh, 15 days out from the lottery? Well, I mean, listen, we've, we've lucked into some number one overall picks. We've also dropped some spots i'm i don't know man i mean like i told you today bro we're getting six and eleven and then we'll 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 make it you know what i mean i i just don't i don't you know i'm I'm there to see what happens but i'm just basking in the fact that it i don't i i don't know i don't know that i i don't know that i don't care is the right sentiment it's not the right word and let me tell you why because this is for everybody out there that feels the way that luke feels 6-11 is fine. You're right. If we get 6-11, and 11, it's not the end of the world. But the fact that it is still entirely incredibly possible that the Magic get the number one overall pick, I cannot help but have that gleam and excitement in my eye until Mark Tatum shoves the knife into my heart. And tells well, me listen, that you're, you're the wrong person for your team to get the number one pick because the year before that, you woke up irrationally feeling... Like this team was going to get the number one pick and then we get the fifth. But then your dreams became reality the next year and you realized your dream was just about a year behind. So listen, you're you're eternally optimistic and I love that about you. But I I just if they if they say the Bulls show up at eleven, the Magic show up at six, I'd be like, all right, great. I don't then we just we hang out a little bit more and then that's it i don't i don't know i will be like all right great but i still am just gonna let myself get nervous and have that kind (laughs) of like nervous excitement leading up to the draft because if we're not there at six or five or four or three or two again it's going to be one of the best nights of my life i just feel like you're going to have some disappointment when we're six probably and and i am i'm fine with that that's just personality difference. I the way that I live my life. Let's let's I, let it roll. I know. I know. All right. We'll let's hit the tankathon and see what happens. And the Magic end up with the fourth pick and the eleventh pick. I'm you know, totally good with that. I love I, that. You know what Tankathon should do? I would Tankathon's great for this, right? The you know, you click the button, you whatever. It does it. It does it serves its purpose. I wish that Tankathon would have the feature to where once you hit the sim lottery button, it starts from the bottom like the actual lottery and they unveil <laughs> names and you have that option. You can fast forward through it if you want. There's like a fast forward option in this scenario, but you can, I feel like that would make this experience a lot more fun. You know what I mean? I like that idea. Do you want yeah. me to start that way? I can do that for you when we do this. You Oh, you oh you tell me. Oh, you act as the feature. I hear you. Yeah, I could do Maybe, that. Maybe, but it'd be much more fun if it was just like, you know, you, you read it off. You're like, that, you know you know what I mean? Like, you read it off, but you're also getting it in real time. I'll do my best know. Mark Tatum impression next time we do this. Okay, cool. And then we'll I'll, in the meantime, I'll I'll DM Tankathon on Twitter, see if uh, yeah. see if they can do that for us. I, Small favors. For a, a, a site that has done as much as they already have with like <laughs> algorithms and whatnot, that seems like a pretty small lift. It's so, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll put the word out to, to Tankathon and, and kind of see what happens there. But Perfect. Luke, I think that is going to do it for us. Unless you have any uh, last thoughts on on Mosley or uh, or Tankathon or anything else? No, I have no thoughts. Uh, we only have a few more episodes up to this point until we see you guys and all your beautiful faces at Wall Street. So, can't wait for it. Two, three, four, five more episodes actually. 
That's a lot more than I. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely a lot more than I would have said. But yeah, folks, again, coming up on May 16th, it is a Tuesday night. Make sure you are clearing your calendars. Starting at 7 o'clock, we will be at the Wall Street Plaza, downtown Orlando, partnering with the Orlando Magic and Michelob Ultra for the NBA Draft Lottery Watch Party. We're also going to be giving away a Paolo Bancaro autographed basketball to one lucky attendee, and then we'll be recording a live episode after the NBA Draft Lottery, just kind of recapping it. And uh, at that time, we'll probably be able to talk a bit more about the prospects that we would like at number one or number two or any of the the two picks hopefully we have two picks at that point and we keep that bulls pick but again folks uh may 16th seven o'clock at the wall street plaza downtown orlando we will see you there uh but for luke sylvia this has been jonathan osborne you guys have been listening to the six man show and we will catch you guys next time see ya thanks for listening to the sixth man show Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps out the show a lot. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sixth Man Show. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic!